For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about issues of finance, and I've asked Bob Barrett, who's one of the zakhanim here at the synagogue, to uh, to speak, and so he's going to be sharing this morning. Rebbe Barrett. Ah, that's so sweet. I hope you'll feel that way when I'm finished. Um, Shabbat Shalom. This is my very first sermon. I've given a mini-sermon, I've given extended drashas and drashas, but never a full sermon. And um, I would like to open in prayer, but since the prayer would be all about me and how much help I need right now, that would be kind of tacky. But um, well, let's pray anyway. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King, open our hearts and minds so we can be moved to your will. Amen. The rabbi has a four-week series on finances and giving. Uh, he did the first two, I'm doing this one, and then Jason will um, back clean up. Um, now, when the rabbi told me that we were going to talk about finances, I wasn't too thrilled. Uh, me and money have never spent a lot of time together. Uh, in my early days as a youth, I was very, very frugal, always saved a lot of money. But when I graduated college and I got my own apartment, I spent much too much and much too often. I loved buying things, especially art. I bought uh, an etching by Salvador Dali. I bought two lithographs by John Lennon. I bought a lot of different works by Erte. And there was no reason why, at my age, I should have any of these things. But I just wanted them. I thought they were beautiful, and it was something I just felt I wanted to spend my money on. Uh, but when I became a follower of Yeshua, it became very clear that this was not the best use of the blessings that God entrusted to me. So if I'm going to speak from example, it's going to be a bad example uh, that was changed and improved over the years. And the other point is, do we really need four sermons on finances? I mean, you know, can we just say, Devon needs your generous giving to survive, and just leave it at that? Um, apparently not. Um, so with God's help, here we go. Now this topic of giving and finances and everything kind of reminds me of an old routine by Flip Wilson. I don't know how many people here remember Flip Wilson. He was an uh, African-American comedian, um, sort of a contemporary of Bill Cosby and Richard Pryor. But he had his own variety show on TV, uh, which in those days was very, very groundbreaking. Um, and on his show, he played various characters, and one of them was Levin Leroy of the Church of What's Happening Now. And, you know, he would come out dressed like a preacher, and there'd be some deacons on stage, and as he would preach, they would shout amen or whatever. And one of this particular um, sermon that he gave, he said, oh, Friends, in order for this church to grow, it has to learn how to crawl. And every, all the deacons would yell, Make it crawl, Rev! Make it crawl! And he said, And for this church to crawl, it needs your prayers. And they say, Let it crawl! And he'd say, and after it crawls, it has to learn to stand up and walk. And they say, let it walk, Rev, let it walk. And for it to walk, it needs your participation. It needs your involvement. And they all say, make it walk. And after this church learns to walk, it's going to learn to run. And they yell, make it run, Rev, make it run. And for this church to run, it needs your money. It needs your tithes and offerings. And they yell, let it crawl, Rev, let it crawl. <laughs> Um, the point is we really don't like to give money to our synagogue or to a church or whatever. There's a lot we can do with it instead. And there are a lot of other people who can give other than ourselves. Uh, 
Statistics indicate that most people do not give to their congregations, and those who do, do not give very much. As I was preparing this talk, Steve Boyd put up a quote on Facebook. It was a quote by Anna Lapp. Uh, I never heard of her before, but she's a young woman who has written books about organic vegetables. Um, yeah, like I'm going to read a book about organic vegetables. The quote is very appropriate, though. She said, now listen to this, this is good. Every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want. I'll say that again. That was, Every time you spend money, you are casting a vote for the kind of world you want. Now, I assume she was referring to buying organic vegetables uh, compared to vegetables covered with pesticides or those that are genetically modified. And personally, I don't care about vegetables when they're sitting on top of a pizza. <laughs> but, um, but, but, but she makes a very good point. Every time we spend money, we are shaping our world. If not the entire planet, then at least our immediate world. Do we want a world where nobody has to shiver in the cold because they can't afford a, a warm coat? Or do we want a world that's filled with our own clothes from J.C. Penney? Yeah, <laughs> that was from the neek. Um, let me give an example from Torah. Last week, the rabbi taught from Exodus 25, 1-9. That is where... God tells Moses to tell the Israelites to bring an offering of the materials needed to build an ark so that God can dwell amongst them. Now, if God created the heavens and the earth, why does he require people to bring materials for the sanctuary? Can't he just say that there be a sanctuary and being there is a sanctuary? The reason is so that they can participate in relationship with him. How we spend money, how we use our assets demonstrates where our hearts are. It's one way to bear fruit for the kingdom. Given to accomplish God's work is like a GPS system. It doesn't get us to where we are going, but lets us know if we are on the right track. Again, Exodus, this is a new quote, so I'm going to turn to Exodus 32, 1 through 7. Let me just read this for you. It's about the building of the golden calf. And when the people saw that Moses, the, ooh, this is small type. This is going to be a problem. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming, oh boy. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, "Get up, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's hap- what's become of him." So Aaron said to them. Break off the golden rings that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden rings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received them from their hand and made a molten calf fashioned with a chiseling tool. Then they said, This is your God, Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. Then Aaron made a proclamation saying, tomorrow will be a feast to Adonai. They rose up early the next morning, sacrificed burnt offerings, and brought the fellowship of offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to make merry. Then Adonai said to Moses, go down for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have become debased. 
Now, the original motivation for the calf was fear. They were afraid because Moses took a long time on Mount Sinai. Fear is a very, very powerful motivator. We might save or hoard our money because we fear that the future, what the future might bring. We had to save for a rainy day. Well, what does that say about our faith and trust in God? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't save at all. And the more we save today, the more we can give later on. But I am saying that saving is self-directed. We want to take care of our own needs. We're giving, whereas giving is kingdom-directed. And most sin is self-motivated, self-centered, self-profiting. It raises us up, not God. Aaron tells the men to bring gold from the earrings worn by their wives, sons, and daughters. Notice how sin has a trickle-down effect. Now, those of you who are about to become fathers in the very near future should be especially aware of this. Once the calf is made, it replaces or becomes the new Lord. What has replaced the Lord in your life? Then there is eating and drinking and partying. Sin doesn't stop at just one action. It keeps rolling along, getting bigger and bigger. Can you see in your own life how one little sin might have led to an addiction? Or how one little sin has opened the door for many other sins? The Israelites were told the calf was their gods. What are your gods? Could it be work, friends, shopping, eating in restaurants? Is, is anything that keeps us from God? Every time we do anything, we should question our motives. Does it draw, us, does it draw attention closer to God or away from him? Since we're talking about spending, let's look at that. Do we give our money to build the kingdom or do we build it or to build ourselves? Do we feast on the pride of ownership, our enhanced good looks, prestige over others? Do we want to boast of our good taste in our home furnishings or our apparel? Are we spending to build our own golden calves? Let's look at one more passage in scripture. It's one of my favorites. I've mentioned this one before. By the way, if you really want to appear to be a Bible scholar, you just really need to know four or five passages and just keep referring to them all the time. Um, that's what I do. Uh, Matthew twenty-five thirty-one to 46. We are going to have to do something about the size of type. Now when the Son of Man comes to his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the, nation, all the nations, remember that, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and came to you? And answering, the king will say to them, Amen, I tell you. Whatever you did one, whenever you did one of these to the least of these, my brethren, again important, my brethren, you did it to me. 
Then he will also say to those on the left, Go away from me, you cursed ones, into the everlasting fire which has been prepared for, you, for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they too answered, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not care for you? Then he will answer them, saying, Amen, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. These shall go off to everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. Now let's look at this passage a little closer. In verse 32, he talks about all the nations. Those are the Gentiles. In verses 35 to 36, the people who are hungry, thirsty, strangers in need of clothing, uh, sick in prison, these are the downtrodden. We have people like this, especially the sick among us today, here and now. But in verse 40, he describes them as these brothers of mine. So there you have Jewish people. You have the Gentiles who either did or did not give to them, and they are the, and he's referring to the Jewish people. Those who call him Lord are Gentile believers or people who thought they were believers. In any case, they are people who know who is the Lord. Now look at what's happening here. There are two groups of people. One is saved, the other isn't. Both know the Lord. But one group has acted. They have followed him. They have given food, water, clothing, and kindness. The other hasn't. The first group is saved. The other isn't. Now don't get me wrong on this. I'm not saying that because you have given, you are saved. It says your generosity is an indication that you are saved. This is not salvation by works. It's works by salvation. We do not give because we, we do not give to be saved, but give because we are saved. Those who are saved through their faith freely performed acts of loving kindness and giving. Charity was an indication of where their hearts were. Just as a GPS indicates where you are, these acts indicate where your heart is. Now here's where I'm going to sound a little bit rabbinical. I'm going to use a phrase that every rabbi always uses. If a Gentile believer is expected to give to the Jewish people, how much more so is the Messianic Jew? How much more so? I, that's rabbinical. Every rabbi always how much more so is this? How much? If vanilla ice cream is good, how much more so is it with cake? You know, how much more so? But don't we as Messianic Jews have a greater calling, by definition, to be doing God's work? And isn't part of that giving and performing acts of loving kindness, first to each other, then to the greater Jewish community, and then to all people? Ever wonder if you're saved or if you're walking with Yeshua? Check out your giving record. There's a verse that says, God loves a cheerful giver. We do not give to buy salvation. We give to celebrate our salvation. Once we know we are saved, we give as part of our citizenship in the kingdom of God. So we must ask ourselves, do I give enough? If you have to ask, the answer is no. So how do we change our giving patterns? First, as with everything, we start with prayer. 
Pray that God will give you a generous heart. Next, look around for opportunities God gives you to give. Now, I know there are a lot of street people out there who are always asking for money. This is where the sermon comes in. Know who to give to and who not. But the opportunities I'm referring to are the ones right here at the Vought Emmett. I'm talking about I'm talking above and beyond the tithe to maintain the building and its ministry. For example, we have several people who have recently undergone surgery or who are having bouts with sickness, even cancer. Have we called them or sent them a note? This is Gimelot Kassidim, acts of loving kindness. We can perform these right here in our home. There's also the Rosh Kodesh Fund, which is our benevolence fund. There are people here who once in a while need financial help. They need money to pay the rent or buy medicine or even groceries. These are people in our community sitting right here right now whom you love and would not hesitate to help. But they're not going to stand by the door and ask for help. Instead, they go to the rabbi. And if he thinks it's a necessity, he asks me, as the other elder, if it's okay to do so. It's a little check and balance type of thing on how develop you, how the values is you're giving. We also give to Lech Lecha, which is, uh, supports young Israelis going to the army in, in Israel. And the UMJC, and its 20K program, and orphanage in South America, and we support Amy Moore, a missionary with Jews for Jesus, and there's Aaron Berndorf, uh, Budov, and his college efforts. And this is all done by your generosity. And let's get real for a minute. This all sounds good, but at the end of the day, when, they're counting, when we're counting out the change in our pockets and wondering where all that money we started the day with went, it's, it isn't very practical. We just don't have enough to give. Or are we giving to the wrong things? One of my false gods, gods is I eat out a lot. I'm always going to restaurants, and I, I seldom make lunch or dinner. Instead, I just enjoy going to restaurants. When I do, I often choose a really nice restaurant instead of like a Subway or a Mariano's. So here's my pledge. Hey, I'm going to do this. At least four times a week, I'm going to bring my lunch or dinner to work and make it, and make it at home on my days off. I'm going to take the money I save and donate it to Rosh Kodesh. I believe to do this for at least two months and hopefully beyond. I challenge everyone here to look at their own false gods, to look at where they're spending their money, not on necessities, and, and where they can make that an offering to the kingdom of God.